0: That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback.
1: From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 21st of April 2022. From the news section. Newborn baby stuns doctors by surviving Covid after mum planned her funeral. Exclusive by Kirsty Fierick. A newborn baby stunned doctors by surviving COVID after her mum planned her funeral. Averly McGinnis was hours away from death after catching the virus, leaving her mother Chloe Connolly completely heartbroken. The 25-year-old had given birth nine weeks early to the tiny tot and her twin esme at her home in Airdrie last September. She delivered the girls herself with partner Darren McGinnis before the babies were rushed to University Hospital Wishaw where Averley then tragically caught COVID. The infant was also suffering from chronic lung disease as a result of being born so early, allowing the virus to quickly overwhelm her. Doctors, were transfer- Doctors transferred the youngster to the Royal Children's Sick Hospital in Glasgow, where she was put into a coma and hooked up to a ventilator. Devastated Chloe be- began planning Averly's fu- funeral flowers and arrangements in her head, as she feared the worst, but was stunned when the determined baby began to bounce back. She was then reunited with her twin in the Wishon neonatal unit, leaving doctors shocked at her return. Now, at seven months old, she is home with her relieved family, who are celebrating the miraculous recovery. Chloe said, It has been a complete roller coaster for us. We didn't think she would survive to start with. The doctors had told us we were looking at it hour by hour, they couldn't even say she had days left. They transferred her to the Royal Children's Hospital and had a neonatal surgeon in the ambulance in case anything went really wrong. We drove behind them, and I couldn't help but think how I was about to have to plan a funeral for her soon. I started to think about flowers and arrangements in my head, it was horrible. Thankfully I didn't have to do that because after being put into a coma on a ventilator. She started to get better. We couldn't believe it. Averley had so many drips but slowly doctors started taking them off her and we realised she was getting much stronger. After two weeks she was even able to leave the Royal. When she came back to the Wishaw Neonatal Unit, the staff were all shocked to see her. I don't know how she did it, she was so tiny and just had the strength to pull through Inspiring, Chloe delivered the twins herself, without even paracetamol, in her bedroom at 3am on September the 7th. The super of four had felt sudden pains and phoned an ambulance, with paramedics arriving 28 minutes later to find the babies already born. Vulnerable Averly then caught COVID one month later along with her mum, dad and two siblings, Aileen McGuinness, one, and Ollie Ritchie, eight. But... Luckily, not to her twin Esme, despite them sharing a cot. Sadly, this meant her worried parents were unable to visit the twins as they were stuck in isolation themselves at home. When they finally could attend the hospital again, they were told on October 4th that the odds of Averley pulling through were extremely slim. But after spending 14 days at the Royal Children's Hospital and then returning to the Wishon neonatal unit, the twins are both discharged in November the 12th Chloe said she's only now beginning to process the ordeal. Now she has all her family at home and hopes Averly and Esme will outgrow their chronic lung disease. She said, I was feeling rubbish and overnight I started to get really bad pains. It all happened so fast. We were on the phone to paramedics for 28 minutes and by the time they arrived the twins were born. I had them in the bedroom because I couldn't even make it to the toilet. I just bent down and grabbed them myself. He really was born first and six minutes later so was Esme and I, I never even had paracetamol. The month later i got Covid and we had to deal with all that. None of it really hit me until recently. I feel like a different person now compared to then it's, it's been a lot but the NHS have been so great. The doctors and nurses have all been so brilliant. Everyone we came across has been so supportive and really helpful. And that article was an exclusive by Kirsty Fieric. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 21st of April, 2022. From the news section, Glasgow man made sectarian comment to cop before trying to headbutt him. An exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. A man made a sectarian comment towards a cop and then tried to headbutt him after a night out with his wife. Ian Swan called a police officer an f asterisk asterisk N B asterisk asterisk D after they were called to a premier in at Glasgow Pacific Key on January the 23rd 2020. The 43-year-old appeared at Glasgow Sheriff Court after previously pleading guilty to uttering the sectarian mar- remark aggravated by religious prejudice and attempting to assault the cop. Prosecutor Fisca- Fiscal deputy. Rory Allison said, Police attended shortly prior to midnight on a separate matter and found the accused. He, ad- he appeared to be highly intoxicated. When officers began speaking with him, he was immediately hostile, shouting and swearing at both officers. He was arrested, to which he responded, You're an F, asterisk, expl- uh, asterisk, 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 N, B, asterisk, 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 D. As he was being placed in the rear of the police vehicle, the accused threw his head towards the officer in an attempt to headbutt him, but he was not successful. He was not formally cautioned and charged due to his his intoxicated state. Swan's lawyer said his client had attended a night out with his wife and was staying at the hotel. He said, Alcohol was consumed by both parties. He understands that's no excuse for his conduct. He accepts the way he reacted. And he pleaded guilty at the very earliest opportunity. He tells me he has little recollection of the incident. He's appalled by his own behaviour. This conduct, conduct is out of character. It seems to be much, a, very much a one-off. He's disgusted himself. He can't understand why he behaves in that way, but he does apologise for his conduct. Withstanding the lack of any record, I would invite you to deal with this by a financial penalty. He is in full-time employment. Whilst the behaviour is unpleasant, it does not cross the custody threshold, so I would invite you to consider that there is no need for an alternative to custody. Sheriff Amelie finds one of Hill, North Lawnature, £210. She told him, Your behaviour may have been out of character, but I agree it was unpleasant. You should not have behaved in that way. Alcohol is not an excuse. However, I agree with what your solicitor said. I'm prepared to deal with this matter by monetary penalty. Your conduct is at the low end of the scale, as you actually missed and done no harm to the officer. And that article was an exclusive by Lauren Brownley From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 21st of April 2022, from the news section, SSPCA appeal for information after fox killed by dog in Hamilton Park by Nicole Mitchell. The body of a fox has been found in a Hamilton Park with Wounds consistent with a dog attack? The remains of the female fox were found by a countryside ranger at Hamilton Low Park's local nature reserve on Thursday, March 17. The Scottish SPCA is now appealing for information about the animal's horrible death after a post-mortem revealed the fox died as a result of internal damage caused by dog bite wounds. An undercover inspector from the Scottish SPCA Special Investigation Unit said This discovery is suspicious and very concerning. The fox's body was taken for a post-mortem which determined that she was killed as a result of internal damage caused by dog bite wounds. This is a horrible way for the fox to die and she would have suffered considerable fear and pain in her last moments. We are appealing for information from the public about whoever may be responsible. It is illegal to hunt and kill a fox with a dog, and if anyone witnesses this being allowed to happen, they should report it. Anyone with information about the incident is asked to contact the Scottish SPCA's Confidential Animal Helpline on zero nine. That's zero three zero 999 999. 03 zero zero nine 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 nine. And that was a report by Nicole Mitchell. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the twenty second of april twenty twenty two from the news section. Glasgow man Christopher Hughes jailed for life for murder of Martin Cock by Stacey Mullen A member of a Scots supergang has been jailed for life for the assassination of a Dutch underworld figure outside a sex club. Christopher Hughes, 33, was with Martin Cock, 49, when he was shot and killed outside the Boccaccio club in Leiden, Holland on December 8, 2016. He had alerted others to Mr Cox's location and let them know when he was leaving the club. Earlier the same day, Glasgow man Hughes had also sent word to others when the pair were leaving the Citizen M Hotel in Amsterdam when an attempt was made on Mr Cox's life. On Friday, Hughes was sentenced to life with a minimum of 25 years at the High Court in Stirling for his involvement in the murder and serious organised crime. He was involved in an organised crime group with international reach for almost 7 years between July 1st 2013 and January 7th 2020. This included the importation and supply of cocaine, firearms and ammunition, money laundering and setting up a company to supply encrypted communication devices to gangs throughout the world. We previously reported that Hughes was a high-ranking member of the feared crime clan which had worldwide connections including with the Colombian drug cartels and the Italian mafia. On the instructions of the mob, Hughes met cocked at an Amsterdam hotel, then the Boccaccio sex club and alerted others to where he was. As the pair later left and Hughes patted a cat outside, double murderer cock was gunned down as a favour for seemingly crossing Moroccan base at gangsters. Hughes was quiet by Dutch police and the next day was allowed to leave. He remained at large in Europe as the international probe into the brothel shooting continued. It was an apparent confession to a fellow gang member turned supergrass, which led to his downfall. Hughes was caught in a hotel in Turin in Italy in January 2020 and hauled back to Scotland on a European arrest warrant. The killing, despite happening abroad, was investigated as part of the huge Police Scotland probe, Operation Escalade, which has already seen a string of gang members jailed for a total of more than 100 years. The mob has been described as the most sophisticated encounter by the authorities. Laura Buchan, purview to of specialist casework, said Christopher Hughes was a key member of an organised crime gang for many years facilitating crime behaviour which culminated in the brutal murder of Martin Cock. The conviction of Hughes was a truly collaborative and international effort and CLPFS worked closely with colleagues in both Scotland and Holland to ensure Hughes answered for his actions. It is thanks to this great work with international justice colleagues that we were able to prosecute Hughes. In particular, Police Scotland carried out exceptional work on what was a complex and lengthy investigation. Organised crime does great harm to communities in Scotland and beyond and we will continue to work with partners in the Serious Organised Crime Task Force to tackle these groups. Previously, Police Scotland's Detective Chief Superintendent Stuart Houston, head of Organised Crime Unit, said It has been well documented that Hughes is a dangerous individual with a long association with organised crime in Scotland and beyond. He has wreaked havoc in our communities by trading illegal drugs to our communities and being involved in the importation of firearms, which undoubtedly would have been used to harm or kill others. And that article was by Stacey Mullen. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 22nd of April 2022 from the news section Glasgow residents complain of students holding wild parties with live bands at 4 am by Drew Sandylands local democracy reporter students holding wild parties which have included live bands at 4 am and a skateboarding competition are creating hell for their west end neighbours fed up residents told Glasgow's licensing committee how they had resorted to calling the police for parties at 53 Kersland Street. The landlord, Sanjeev Kohli, was warned over his future management of the property, but his House in Multiple Occupation, HMO, licence was extended for another three years and neighbours admitted the problems are difficult for Kohli properties to deal with. Four representations were sent to the council, raising issues with the six-person Kersland Street property. Gary Forsyth, a member of Kairdland Street Neighbours Association, told the committee how there are streetwide problems with antisocial behaviour but issues at number 53 have been going back many years. We have had instances such as a live band at 4am on Tuesday mornings. We had a skateboard Ollie competition which cracked our fireplace off the wall. But most recently we've had those parties that I mentioned in 2020 and 2021. It seems to be just a sheer amount of people and there just doesn't seem to be any respect for any neighbours, and that's really our main issue. Mr Forsyth continued, This isn't just an issue with Coley properties in the slightest. We are surrounded. We've had something like 20 to 30 major antisocial instances in the last year in Kersland Street. It seems to be they had a two-year break, and now they came back and it's been like opening a zoo. It's been absolutely wild. The Kersland Street home, which isn't being let out currently while water ingress issues are fixed, is managed by Coley Properties. Ed O'Brien, representing the firm, said, It was clearly the party from hell for the neighbours. It really was a terrible party, with bongo drums playing outside at that time of the morning. There is no excuse for it. The tenants were warned about it. We have a strict anti-social behaviour policy. All tenants, before they get the keys, are made aware of it. A representative from Coley Properties has attended a meeting of the Neighbours Association to discuss the concerns. Mr Forsyth welcomed this and said, We're not trying to stop an HMO or put people out of business. We're just trying to have some kind of cooperation with landlords, agents and tenants to basically try and avoid these issues. However, he added, It's very hard for any of us to give assurances that things won't happen again. We've had assurances for different properties in this area for five or ten years, what we find is they move in, they're having a moving in party, a month before they move out, they have a moving out party. There's nothing any of us can do to stop those. He believes the induction process is key and wants tenants to be made aware that they are living among families. Would you do this behaviour in your own home? He added. Would you do this in the same street your mum and dad live in? Mr Forsyth said there was recently a riotous party in the street where 40 to 50 people turned up. The issue a lot of the time you have is somebody has a small party and then the phones are ringing, the texts are going, they lost control of the party. Sometimes it's not the tenant's direct fault, it's certainly not the fault of Coley Properties, it's just a symptom of what happens when that ball starts rolling. Councillor Wilson said, I'm really glad you've got your residence association, I think that's fantastic. I always think they work really well when people can iron out problems there. Mr O'Brien said Coley Properties was reinforcing its anti-social ha- behaviour policy and considering reducing the number of tenants in the flat. We are being proactive and it has been very good to make contact with the local neighbourhood association. He added, This particular flat has been a great concern to the Coley Property Company. We know it's going to be a lit out. It's got to be a sensitive lit. There's a history of problems here. We have been approached by a group of Chinese students and our experience with Chinese students is that they are very quiet. I don't know what stage that is at. Mr O'Brien said the previous tenants had been beyond the pale. The parents were very contrite. Not necessarily so all the tenants were were that contrite. They felt victimised. In future, the company would start eviction proceedings, Mr O'Brien said, but added, you cannot just throw them out overnight. There is a due legal process that has to be followed. that article is by Drew Sandylands.
0: This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 22nd April 2022. From the Opinion section. Cringeworthy corporate jargon heard in call centres. By Adam Miller. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it before, but I spent a few years working in call centres. By not sure if I've mentioned it before, I mean have relentlessly relived those years in tweets, columns, podcasts and any other platform I can find in an exhausting and ultimately fruitless attempt to exercise my customer service demons. In that spirit, welcome to 850 words of me talking about life in call centres. Having endured that world as both a phone monkey and trainer, I've experienced every emotion it's possible to feel in that environment from despondent to very despondent. That's not the picture painted by the operators of these establishments, the lobbies of which are filled with images of smiling, headset-sporters underneath meaningless slogans like turning talent into progress uh, and unbeaten at exporting solutions. Of course, they would prefer former employees not to socialise information in this manner. If you're wondering what socialise information means, allow me to congratulate you on never having worked in a call centre. It's one of the numerous cringe-worthy pieces of corporate jargon I heard in those buildings. Possibly with an eye to one day writing a cathartic newspaper column about it, I kept a note of the most excruciating examples. Sometimes. You would be going about your day blissfully forgetting the bleakness of your surroundings, only to be brought crashing down to earth by a sentence like this arriving in your inbox. John believes in building consistent and repeatable operational performance from a platform of highly engaged employees as well as utilising the energy and enthusiasm of his people to challenge convention and secure market-leading outcomes. All I've changed is the name. I received that email about seven years ago and it still haunts me. Someone sat down at a computer, typed out those words and attached their own name to that email, presumably without shame. During one of my stints as a trainer, a friend and I took part in weekly calls with the client who was particularly fluent in business-speak nonsense. After a few weeks, we started inserting our own meaningless terms into the conversation. At no point did the client ever question our suggestion that sometimes you need to put your umbrella up before it starts raining, Express reluctance at our plan to take this for a walk across 110% Street or raise eyebrows at our warning not to go shaking the lifeguard's podium. (laughs) No matter what industry you're in, if you've ever experienced office life, you will at some point have encountered business speak. You will almost certainly be familiar with big hitters like Going Forward or... If you've got the bandwidth but if you've recently been promoted and intend to earn the contempt of your employees you might need a refresher. The following are all terms that were genuinely said in front of me with a straight face on at least one occasion. Socialise information. Uh, Tell people basically During my time as a customer service agent for an energy company, we were informed of an impending price change, the details of which were to be embargoed until the following morning. Our managing director, a man who mistakenly believed polo neck jumpers conveyed class and authority, warned us that anyone caught socialising this information before tomorrow morning will be disciplined. He meant, don't tell anyone but that would be too much like plain English for the man with a comfy neck. Only one person was disciplined for breaching that embargo. Given the fact that he made a paper aeroplane out of the internal memo, threw it out of the window, only to see it land on the managing director's shiny head, he couldn't really have had too many complaints. Cascade. Who's got the time to say... Tell the people below you. When you're a call centre manager wanting to socialise that information, you can't be wasting time on a five-word sentence. No, your order will simply be cascade that. As well as being socialised or cascaded, information can be relayed through tying in or dialoguing, as long as it's confined to a four-wall convo lift the bonnet, in which we take a deep dive and to discover whether we have secured enough quick wins to ensure adequate buy-in. One day the people who perpetrated these attacks upon the English language will be held accountable for their crimes. Live the values. Call centres are big on living the values. In theory, this means delivering a professional, efficient service for customer and client alike. In practice, this means being told to smile more while being paid £8.50 an hour to receive abuse through a headset while having your toilet breaks monitored. Action. A classic of the genre. Cult filmmaker John Waters once said, if you go home with someone and they don't have books, don't fm um, While I admire Walter's sentiment, I would amend his rule to If you go home with somebody and they use action as a verb If you're in a call centre and you're using any of these terms unironically Please action, socialising, your resignation By close of play, preferably That article was by Adam Miller
2: Glasgow Times News, on Monday the 25th of April. Autonomous bus to take to the roads. An article written by Tom Torrance. Scotland's newest bus will be driving itself as it becomes the UK's first full-size autonomous vehicle of its kind to take to the roads. Stagecoach will be carrying out on-road testing of its self-driving bus from today in preparation of passengers stepping aboard later this summer. Sam Greet, Regional Director of the company in Scotland, hailed it as a hugely exciting project. This is a major step forward in our journey to fully launch the UK's first full-size autonomous bus service and will provide easy access to a brand new bus route in the heart of Scotland, he said. The CAV 4th pilot will see five single-deck autonomous buses operating over the 4th road bridge between Ferry Tall Park and Ride in Fife and the Edinburgh Park train and tram interchange. The buses are stuffed full of sensors which enable them to run on pre-selected roads without the safety driver having to intervene or take control. When operational to passengers, the buses will provide a service capable of carrying up to 36 passengers 14 miles across the bridge with a capacity of 10,000 passengers a week. Stagecoach is partnering with Fusion Processing, Alexander Dennis and Transport Scotland for the project and the scheme has won the financial support of the UK Government's Centre for Connected and Autonomous Vehicles. Jim Hutchison, Chief Executive of Fusion Processing, said he was delighted to be leading the world's most complex and ambitious autonomous vehicle programme. Fourth will provide a useful service to local people, as well as being a great demonstration of Fusion's automated vehicle technology, he said. On-road testing is an exciting milestone in the development of autonomous commercial vehicles and we look forward to welcoming passengers on board in a few months' time. The on-road testing in Scotland follows successful depot-based trials, track testing and virtual simulation which Stagecoach said put their autonomous buses through their paces to fine-tune the drive systems. When fully operational in the summer, each bus will have an experienced driver monitoring the system alongside a bus captain who will move around the vehicle and talk to customers about the service. Stagecoach said that this would demonstrate what a future service might feel like when the staff member is able to leave the cab while the computer does the driving. There are six levels of driving automation, with 0 to 2, meaning a driver must constantly supervise and is always driving, while 3 to 5 allows the vehicle to drive itself. Able to operate at Level 4, it means that no driver attention is required for safety, but self-driving is only supported in limited areas or circumstances. Outside these, the driver must intervene. Chris Gall, Group Engineering Director of Alexander Dennis, said the start of on-route testing was a milestone for our autonomous bus project. As we move towards passenger services later in the year, the project will be a landmark demonstration of future technologies in transport. An article written by Tom Torrance. Glasgow Times, News, on Monday the 25th of April. Bardawi Road's action group in plea after fatal road crash on Bulmore Road. An exclusive front-page article by Esther Tarnay, reporter. Angry residents are demanding better signage and speed control after a man died on a dangerous road in a village on the outskirts of Glasgow. The Bardawi Road's action group formed five years ago, but it claims efforts to regulate motorists in the area have been ongoing for decades. Now, members have come together again, following the tragic death of 34-year-old Sean McLaughlin on Balmore Road last week. Member Penny McElhinney said, We'd like to express our sympathies to the family of the gentleman who's passed away. It's been a real shock, even though we could see for a long time there could be a fatality on this road and there have been lots of accidents. This is our worst fear, and it just highlights how dangerous this road is. Linda Whitehall, who's 52, added, We've campaigned for road crossings, for traffic lights, and there is not the political will. We've always said, is it going to take a child fatality for change to happen? Well, now there has been a fatality. Just before 1am on April the 14th, emergency services were alerted after a silver Ford Fiesta was involved in a one-car crash near the Allender Toll roundabout. Four days later, the driver, Sean McLaughlin, sadly died in hospital. Balmore Road is an A-road that goes across the village in eastern Bartonshire towards Glasgow. John and Jean Hansen have lived in the village since 1972. The pair claimed this road has always been difficult. Coming out to this road just because of the amount of traffic is a nightmare, especially on the way to Kirkintilloch. The number of cars passing by is crazy, so many big trucks every day. Local mother, Rachel McKimmon, said, "'Nobody respects the speed limit. We've had dangerous overtakes even as we're trying to turn into our own streets. We're constantly fearing that a car is going to veer over us. There have been so many collisions and crashes, and obviously the worst last week was the fatality. Our neighbour's garden walls were also demolished. If someone was on that pavement, I dread to think what would have happened. I'm constantly worried about my daughter.' When I'm going to my friends, which is a two-minute walk away, I often get in the car because I'm too scared to walk on the pavement with my children. Currently there's a 30mph speed limit on this stretch of road, but it's claimed that drivers frequently ignore the rule and locals often have to take extra measures to ensure their safety, such as driving their children to the school bus stop. The pavement is only on one side of the road and there are no crossings because apparently the road is too narrow. Mrs McElhinney said, crossing the road or trying to walk to other houses is quite dangerous. I think everybody that lives in the village would tell you several stories about near misses that have happened. Mrs Whitehall added, enough is enough. My child comes here and crosses this road every day. The primary school children are picked up at this bus stop that has been demolished before by a car. The campaign group has been in touch with Eastern Bartonshire Council, as well as local police officers to update the driving conditions, but no action has been taken so far. Five years ago, the Glasgow Times told of a similar plea to reduce speed limits on Balmore Road after three people died near its junction with Scursa Street in Lamb Hill. In the Bardawi area, according to the action group, this is the first accident that's claimed a life, but crashes are frequent. Local MSP Pam Gosol visited the community recently to listen to their complaints and try to move the issue forward. She said it's time we saw further action to tackle dangerous driving through Badawi village. Local residents have been highlighting these issues for years but despite numerous accidents, no action has been taken to slow traffic through the village. The tragic death that took place on this stretch of road earlier this month should serve as a wake-up call. That's why I'll be formally raising the concerns of local residents and the Bardawi Roads Action Group with Eastern Bartonshire Council. It's clear more needs to be done to calm traffic along this road and the council should consider all available options to do this. Anne Davy, Eastern Bartonshire Council's Deputy Chief Executive, said The council has met with local residents in the past and a considerable amount of work has been undertaken in the area. Road safety is a priority, and we're always happy to listen to concerns and suggestions about potential improvements which comply with road and traffic regulations. Due to the ongoing police investigation, it would be inappropriate to comment on the circumstances surrounding the road traffic incident in the early hours of April the 14th. We'll continue to liaise with Police Scotland during its investigation. Sergeant Adnan Alam of the Glasgow Road Policing Unit said... Our thoughts are with Sean's family and friends at this difficult time. Our inquiries into the crash are continuing. I'd urge anyone who was in the area with DashCam to check their systems and provide any relevant footage to us, and any witnesses to the crash who haven't yet spoken to officers should come forward as soon as possible. An exclusive article written by Esther Tarnai. Glasgow Times, News, on Monday the twenty fifth of April. Election 2022. We want to put your questions to the leaders in an election hustings. An article written by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. What would you like to ask the people who want your vote? Next week, on May 5th, Glasgow will elect 85 councillors from 23 wards across the city. For weeks now, the candidates and their campaign teams have been on the streets, putting leaflets through your letterbox or even littering your clothes with them. They're busy making their pre-election promises and trying to persuade you to give them your precious vote. The Glasgow Times is giving readers the chance to put your questions to the four main parties who currently have councillors in the City Chambers and who are looking to be re-elected. We've invited the Glasgow group leaders of the SNP, Labour, Conservatives and the Greens to take part in an exclusive online live Hustings event for Glasgow. The Hustings on Wednesday evening will be streamed to the Glasgow Times social platforms, including YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. The leaders, Susan Aitken, council leader and SNP group leader, Malcolm Cunning, Labour group leader, Thomas Kerr, Conservative group leader and John Molyneux, co-group leader of the Greens, have all agreed to take part in the event. We'll give each the opportunity to make a short opening statement and then it will be over to questions. We want to hear from you, the readers, the people of the city. What are the burning issues in your ward? Is it poverty? Is it cleansing and recycling? Or is it roads, schools, social care, bringing jobs to the city or help for businesses? Whatever your issue is, let us know and we'll select a series of questions to put to the leaders on your behalf. The event will be able to be viewed live and questions can be submitted online during the debate. You can send in questions to news at glasgotimes.co.uk, marked Hustings in the subject, or to letters at glasgotimes.co.uk. An article written by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 25th of April. Learner Driver caught almost five times over the limit in Barhead and did a driving ban. An exclusive article written by Connor Gordon, court reporter. A learner driver who thanked police officers after arresting him has been disqualified for 12 months. Stephen Chambers was caught almost five times over the limit in Barhead in East Renfrewshire on June 19th in 2021. The 34-year-old made the decision to drive following a fight at a house after a Scotland and England football game. When officers later took him into the station, he told them, thank you to both of you for being responsible and nice people. Mr Chambers pleaded guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to driving without a licence and insurance. He also admitted having 105 micrograms of alcohol in his breath when the legal limit is 22. Mr Chambers of Glasgow Cessnock was ordered to do 135 hours of unpaid work and put under supervision for 12 months as well as the driving ban. The court earlier heard there was a collision on Parkhouse Road at 7.30am. One of the women involved confronted Mr Chambers in a blue Renault car, who freely admitted he had been drinking. Officers later attended and Mr Chambers failed roadside and police station alcohol tests. He was also found to be the holder of a provisional licence. James Swinburne defending told the court he was fully cooperative and in his naivety he thanks the police officers for being responsible and nice. Sheriff Jonathan Guy replied he is unusually courteous. Mr Swinburne stated... That's the type of man he is. He was watching a Scotland and England football game with friends, which was the first time they were able to get together. The girlfriend of the householder invited her sister along and they invited their boyfriends, which made my client feel uncomfortable. Drink was taken and words were exchanged. One group supported one team and the other group came from a particular area. Mr Chambers was an innocent victim and was punched and took the decision to leave immediately, which was the wrong decision to drive home. An exclusive article written by Connor Gordon. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 25th of April. Lidl given go-ahead to open new store in Wishaw. An article written by Neil McGrory, local democracy reporter. The supermarket chain Lidl has been given permission from councillors to proceed with plans for a new store in Wishaw. The company had applied for approval for a new store with a total floor space of almost 2,000 square metres, along with parking spaces, two electric vehicle charging stations and bicycle storage, with access coming via a new roundabout. North Lanarkshire Council's planning department had recommended granting the application subject to various conditions, as although contrary to zoning designations in the local plan, it was considered to be an acceptable alternative use of the site. The Council received a total of three objections in relation to these plans, but all arrived out with the statutory timescale and were dismissed. It was, however, noted that a number of revisions had been made to the original proposals in line with recommendations made in a transportation assessment, and these changes also happened to cover many points raised in the objections. It was therefore deemed that the plans contained no unacceptable impacts for road and pedestrian safety. This new store will replace Lidl's existing town centre location. The plans will also see new jobs created in addition to the current employees. The move is not expected to have any adverse effects on the council's future plans for Wishore Town Centre. Should any other retailer wish to take over the former town centre Lidl, planning permission would not be required. An article written by Neil McGrory. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 25th of April. Man fined £800 after pet's ordeal. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. A Paisley man has been fined £800 for failing to look after his dog, which was suffering from sepsis. The Scottish SPCA carried out an inspection at Spencer Drive, where John Stokesley lived with his two year old Rottweiler cross German shepherd, Ziva. Ziva was suffering from injuries to her legs and ears, and these became infected with sepsis after Mr Stokesley failed to provide her with medical attention. Due to the severity of the infection, the decision was made to have Ziva put down. Scottish SPCA inspector Gillian Dick said, We were contacted by a veterinary practice after Mr Stokesley presented the dog there for treatment on November the 15th in 2019. He stated that another dog in the property had attacked Ziva on November the 11th of that year. The owner informed the practice that Ziva had a few wounds, which she had been bathing and treating at home, but that she had stopped eating. Ziva was carried into the practice as she was unable to walk. The vet had to examine Ziva while she lay on the floor, as the dog was so weak she could not even lift her head. Ziva was extremely dehydrated and also appeared to be in shock. She had many wounds, but the most significant was on her right hind leg. The inspectors found Ziva's wounds to be so bad that the bone was exposed. She was also suffering from multiple organ failure due to septic shock. Gillian added, the wound was necrotic and so deep that the bone was exposed. She also had a deep, pus-filled wound behind her right ear. The vet advised that Ziva was in septic shock and she was suffering from multi-organ failure. Her back leg was so badly infected that it would need to be amputated, but because Ziva was so weak she would not survive the anaesthetic, and sadly the decision had to be made to euthanise her. Mr Stokesley, who's 53, also worked as a dog walker, pleaded guilty to causing unnecessary suffering at Paisley Sheriff Court on March 10th. Julian added, Mr Stokesley failed to take appropriate action and respond to the urgency of this dog's condition, which ultimately led to her suffering from excruciating and debilitating injuries, which became so severe that the only option was euthanasia to end her suffering. Mr Stokesley stated he was bathing the wound and attempting to treat Ziva at home, showing he was more than aware of the injuries sustained by the dog and that she needed treatment. He's employed as a dog walker and has responsibility for animals in his care on a daily basis, which makes this incident even more concerning. We are pleased Mr Stokesley has been fined, but disappointed he was not issued with a ban, given his employment involves caring for animals on a daily basis. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News, on Monday the 25th of April. More than 10,000 take part in this year's Glasgow Kilt Walk, an article written by Lauren Brownlee, senior reporter. More than £3 million has been raised for hundreds of charities after a crowd of more than 10,000 people participated in this year's kilt walk. Yesterday, the 23-mile Mighty Stride left from Glasgow Green at the same time as the Big Stroll, a 15-mile jaunt, kicked off in Clydebank. Later, those tackling the three-mile We Wonder took off from Loch Lomond Shores and the routes converge to end in Balloch, Including the latest fundraising figures, Scotland's favourite mass participation event has now raised more than £32 million for 2,850 charities since April 2016. As is a Kilt Walk tradition, every £1 raised receives a 50% top-up from the Hunter Foundation. With Glasgow walkers raising an impressive £2 million, this total was boosted by Sir Tom Hunter to £3 million, which will be gifted to 685 Scottish charities. Sir Tom Hunter said, I regard the success of Kilt Walk as one of the Foundation's greatest achievements. It was a joy to see so many of our Kiltwalk heroes out in their tartan at Glasgow Green. Their kindness means the world to me and to Scotland's charities, and I can't stress enough how much it's appreciated in these toughest of times. After a challenging few years, Scotland's charities benefit from every donation, so kilt walkers should be very proud of the difference they've made today. Famous faces who took part included Jackie Bird and River City's Stephen Purden, also known as Suit Bob. Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, completed the We Wonder to raise funds for Who Cares Scotland, a national voluntary organisation working with care-experienced young people and care leavers. An article written by Lauren Brownlee. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 25th of April. More than a third of Glasgow households still to submit the census. An article written by Jen S. Mitchell, content editor. More than a third of households in Glasgow are yet to complete the national census, according to the latest figures. Two million households across Scotland have filled in their survey responses, but an estimated 700,000 are still to submit them. National Records of Scotland said more than eight out of every ten households in Aberdeenshire have completed the census, whereas less than two-thirds of households in Glasgow have completed theirs. With the census due to close on Sunday, Scots are being reminded that failing to submit a response could lead to a prosecution and a fine of up to £1,000. Angus Robertson, MSP, Cabinet Secretary for the Constitution, External Affairs and Culture, said, I want to thank the two million households who have already completed the census and met their legal responsibility. But as we enter the final week, many returns remain outstanding. For the census to be effective in delivering its many benefits for future public services, it's vital that we secure a higher response rate and one that reflects the diversity of our communities. Today, we are calling on all of our communities and organisations to come together and to redouble their efforts to encourage participation. It's absolutely essential that every householder in Scotland completes the census. An article written by Jen S. Mitchell. Glasgow Times News. On Monday the 25th of April. Protest picnic to fully open People's Palace. An article written by Rebecca Newlands, digital journalist. A protest picnic took place outside the People's Palace in Glasgow at the weekend. Men, women and children pitched up on the grass outside the iconic museum on Saturday to eat, drink and demonstrate their need for the venue to be opened fully. The People's Palace opened in February this year, but was met with criticism from campaign groups who want to see a full reopening of the Winter Gardens. Protesters from Glasgow Against Closures were seen putting up banners across the fences outside the Winter Gardens, which read, Save our community centres, open the doors, and Glasgow Green belongs to the people, always has, always will. Young people were holding placards saying, Winter Gardens, you are my sunshine, while others accused Glasgow City Council of not maintaining the gardens. They were joined by musicians Gavin Peterson and Colonel Mustard, who performed live. It's claimed there's been discrimination towards the People's Palace following a multi-million pound spend on the Borough Collections refurbishment. Elspeth King, chair of the Friends of the People's Palace campaign group, previously said, I'm happy to see it reopened, but I'm sad to see the state of the Winter Gardens. The discrimination against the People's Palace goes as far back as we can remember and against Glasgow Green as well. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 25th of April. Three sisters celebrate one century of experience working in the NHS. An article written by Sarah Paccheroni, multimedia journalist. Three sisters who have dedicated their careers to the NHS have celebrated their combined 100 years service this year. NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, senior charge nurse Arlene Watson and anaesthetic nurse Roz Kerr, alongside Jean Watson, who works at NHS Lanarkshire, have clocked up an average of 30 years of nursing each and are still going strong on the front line. Longest serving sister and trailblazing nurse in the family, Roz Kerr, who's 58, officially retired three years ago. She came back into the service to support her siblings and pass on her knowledge to new staff, working two days per week to help look after patients in surgery. Roz, who lives in Hamilton, currently works between the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital and Wishaw General. She said, Clearly nursing runs in our blood somewhere. For me, it was an easy decision to come back part-time to use all the skills I've learned over the years, particularly now during the pandemic. Growing up in Bothwell, Roz trained as a nurse in 1981 and was followed ten years later by youngest sister Arlene, who's 48. Arlene said, I remember when Roz would be studying and I'd read her nursing books when I was around eight or nine and I knew I wanted to be a nurse. I didn't know I'd end up in theatre, but I fell in love with a speciality. Working as a trauma nurse at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, Arlene can see anything from someone with a broken finger right through to a major car crash patient flown in by helicopter. She added, "'Despite the challenges, I love the job, and I always say that to students. While the job is hard, it gives me huge satisfaction, and that's why we do it. Our job is practical. You see people get fixed.'" Eldest sister, Jean Watson, who's 62, joined the healthcare service in 1993, working first as a domestic before moving into nursing in 2004, where she now works as a healthcare clinical assistant in an elderly care ward in Motherwell. Reflecting on nursing and its role in the pandemic, Jean said, It's been an extremely difficult time over the pandemic for patients and staff. In an elderly ward, it can be very frightening for patients. We've had to become their family in place of their loved ones. Throughout, we look after our patients with dignity and understanding – I still love the job. It's always a pleasure to help someone in this way. Throughout their long and shared career paths, they've seen many changes in the health service, but the underlying principles have always remained the same, putting the patient first in all elements of their care. Arlene, who lives in Callender with her husband and two children, said, Nursing has changed drastically. Treatments, techniques and new technology mean you're always learning new skills, but the basics have always been the same. Every patient should be treated like a member of the family. This is hugely important and focuses you to be able to deliver the best standard of care. Ros added, you put yourselves in the shoes of the patient, how would you want to be treated? If you think about that, then you'll deliver quality care. Nurses are the patient's advocates. We help make sure every element of care, as it gets pulled together, is the best that it can be for that person. On working through the pandemic, each sister pointed to having kindred spirits in one another to confide in and support throughout. Roz summed up, We understand each other's jobs incredibly well, which has been an amazing mini-support network throughout our careers, and particularly through the pandemic. While we were unable to see each other at home during the height of the pandemic, I was able to work alongside my sister Arlene, so we could keep in touch and make sure we were all okay." Grandmother to two children, Jean, who still lives in Bothwell, added, We're always talking shop, in work and out of work. We always have banter about the job, but we love it. It's been really important for us over the past few years especially, but also throughout our whole careers. For the sisters, retirement might be nearing. However, their love for the job and desire to pass on knowledge and support to colleagues and patients during the pandemic means they won't be going anywhere anytime soon. An article written by Sarah Paccheroni
3: Evening Times, April 25. Lifestyle. Much-loved Bridgeton minister kept it cheery to help Glasgow community through troubled times. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Pioneering Glasgow minister, Bill Shackleton, was responsible for navigating a Briston Youth Centre through troubled waters and played a huge part in saving a much loved city church. The Church of Scotland Reverend was born in the city to govern parents in 1927. His father served an infantry unit in the First World War. After completing a printing apprenticeship, Bill studied history and theology at Edinburgh University and in 1955 joined the Iona community where he met his wife Margaret. The couple have three children and six grandchildren. He came back to Glasgow to become assistant minister at St. Francis in the East in Bridgeton and became involved in the youth club. Keenly aware of the challenges facing young people and their families in the area. He became a much loved and respected community figure. The church newsletters tribute to him follow his death, aged 94, in January and notes. In 1967, he introduced us to the free will offering, which really saved us financially. He was greatly involved in the community and in church house, which he worked with tirelessly and kept it going through all sorts of troubled waters. In nineteen eighty three Bill moved to Well Park West Church in Greenock and became chaplain to Greenock Prison. He remained closely connected to Bridgeton. Bill founded several regional circles for men. Its roots lay in the First World War, including one in Bridgeton which still meets today. Bill was a member of both Bristons Business Club and its Burdens Club, where he was a hilarious and respected speaker. He also wrote articles for magazines, letters to newspapers and books, including Keeping It Cheery, inspired by the instruction given to him on his first Sunday at St Francis in the East. Keep it cheery, Bill. Keep it cheery. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Evening times. April 25. Opinion. Mike Daly says, now is a good time to think about reducing monthly outgoings. With the looming prospect of another hike in gas and electricity prices from October, now is a good time to think about reducing your monthly outgoings. Two popular issues are mobile phone charges and gym memberships, which I'll look at in a moment. But you might want to do a general audit of things you don't really use or need each month. For some things, you might be able to cancel immediately. Others, there may be a minimum notice period. So check with your supplier. They will have the information under fax. Or how to cancel sections on their website if you have a tv or broadband package find out when it's due to end as you may have to give notice to terminate or be rolled over the same applies for most insurance policies clearly you will need insurance cover tv and broadband services But if you know when these are due for renewal, you can replace them with more affordable deals. There are various online comparison sites to help you shop around. Mobile phone companies like to talk about when you're eligible for a new phone upgrade. It isn't an upgrade at all. It's a brand new contract, usually for two years, where you buy a very expensive smartphone for the best part of £1,000. Plus tie yourself to monthly phone and data charges over 12 or 24 months. If you have a 12 or 24 month my mobile phone contract, check when the contract is due to end because invariably you will need to give one month's notice before that date to cancel it. You might have to call your provider to do that. They don't make it simple for obvious reasons. You can save a small fortune by opting for a SIM only deal. To give some illustrations, to buy an iPhone 13 on a two year contract will cost around £42 per month with an overall cost of £1027. A Galaxy 21 on a two-year contract comes in at around £27 per month, with a total cost of £648. Most of the big mobile phone providers will offer SIM-only deals, but often these are tied to a 12-month contract. For example, EE does a SIM-only deal of 40 GB and unlimited calls and texts for £25 on a 12 month contract or £30 per month with no contract. Compare that to GIFGab who will give you an unlimited minutes and text plus 30 GB for £15 per month with no contract. Smarty will give you 60 GB and unlimited calls and minutes for £10 per month with no contract or unlimited everything for £16 per month. You can sign up online and your SIM will be posted out in a couple of days. You can retain your existing mobile number for no charge. Compare this to buying a new smartphone. A good SIM only deal will save you almost £800 over 24 months. If you need a new phone, a cheaper option is to buy a reconditioned one online from a reputable seller. Back in January, you might have made a New Year's resolution to join a private gym with all good intentions. Hopefully you signed up to a no contract deal, which you can get out of anytime. If you don't use the gym a lot, consider ending your contract and using less costly membership or pay as you go in a local authority sports center. If you entered into a 12 month gym contract and can't afford it anymore, there may be scope to get out of it. In the English High Court of OFT versus Ashbourne Management Services Limited, minimum gym memberships were held to be unfair in law under certain circumstances. The court said it was not possible for a gym member to anticipate all events which might render continued use of a gym impractical or unaffordable and X's agreements did not address the tendency of the average consumer to overestimate the use he would make of gym facilities and indeed that he was likely not to attend at all after two or three months. X's business policy in advising clubs to adopt agreements with minimum membership periods, was designed and calculated to take advantage of the naivety and inexperience of the average consumer using gym clubs and the agreements contained a trap into which the average consumer was likely to fall. If your circumstances have changed, you've fallen ill, lost your job or can no longer afford monthly fees, write to your club and ask them to allow you to end your membership early on the grounds of fairness given your change in circumstances. If they refuse, you may be able to use the 2015 Consumer Rights Act. See DebtNavigator.Scott on how to do this, says Mike Daly. Evening times April 27 lifestyle school breakfast provision needs greater funding says report report by Carlos Simone. A report has urged the government to put an extra 75 million pound into school breakfast provision as many vulnerable children are missing out. Education charity magic breakfast said its research exposed a patchwork of provision, leading some children starting class too hungry to learn. The impact is significant, with studies showing morning hunger leading to increased absence, lower levels of attainment and poor behaviour in class, said the report. Staff and food costs were said to be the biggest barrier to school efforts to end hunger in the classroom. Magic breakfast called for an urgent 75 million pound funding boost for school breakfasts in England and similar investments from the Scottish Government to level up education and reach those children and young people at risk of hunger. Ruth Perry, head of school at Newall Green Primary School in Withenshaw, Manchester said. There is a cost of living crisis affecting parents, and if we didn't have a magic breakfast in the morning, some children would be starting class hungry. Instead, pupils begin the day with a free healthy breakfast and are better prepared to learn. My staff and I have seen the difference it can make. Wales is the only UK nation with centrally funded free breakfast provision said the report. Lindsay Macdonald, chief executive of Magic Breakfast said, our hidden hunger report exposes the lottery of school breakfast funding and provision in the UK and the impact that this has on children's learning and life chances. As people struggle to catch up on lost learning and the cost of living crisis takes hold. Magic Breakfast is asking the Scottish and UK governments to implement meaningful funding for breakfast, food, staffing and support. This has been proven to dramatically and drastically improve long term opportunities for future generations and increase the economic health of our nation. Alison Garnham. Chief Executive of Child Poverty Action Group commented, parents tell us breakfast clubs can be an essential means of family support and a lifeline in hard times. But the research is clear. Far too many children in poverty simply cannot access and benefit from these clubs with serious consequences for their school day. Schools, local authorities and governments must work together to ensure that breakfast provision is available freely to any child that needs it wherever they go to school. A Department for Education spokesperson said, we are committed to supporting children and young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to access nutritious school food. That's why we are investing up to 24 million pound in the national school breakfast program which will reach up to 2,500 schools. We have recently expanded eligibility of the program to reach more schools and children in disadvantaged areas, as well as expanding eligibility to free school meals more than any other government in recent decades. Report by Carlos Simone. Evening times, April 27. Opinion. Nicola Sturgeon points out. It's almost time to cast your vote. A week tomorrow, May 5, people across Scotland go to the polls to elect the local councillors who will represent us in our communities over the next few years. Elections to local councils across the country are always important because the quality of local services and local representation really matters. This election is no different. The councillors and council administrations returned next week will have a big impact on our everyday lives. But if all local elections matter, and they do, it can be argued that this one is particularly crucial due to the backdrop against what is happening. People are currently living through a brutal cost of living crisis. The severity of this crisis is unlike anything most of us have known in our lifetimes, with fuel and energy bills through the roof and food prices rocketing. Many people need support with basic everyday essentials and many more will be feeling an impact on day-to-day living. That means politicians at all levels of government need to step up. In my view, we need a pandemic level response to this crisis. Political will and determination is essential to respond effectively to the challenges people are facing. I am determined that the Scottish government will play its full part. With the SNP in government, people in Scotland already get prescriptions, university tuition and eye tests free of charge. Scots also pay on average lower council tax bills than people south of the border. These policies matter at any time. But at a time like this, the value of them becomes all the more obvious. The SNP manifesto for this election commits us to building on this and doing even more to help. We have already doubled the Scottish Child Payment and will increase it again later this year. We are increasing benefits and protecting investment in the Scottish Welfare Fund and discretionary housing payments. SNP counsellors will also prioritise the expansion of free early years education to all one and two year olds, starting with children from low income households. They will also build a system of wraparound childcare, providing year round before and after school care which will be free for those on the lowest incomes. Our manifesto outlines plans to build a fair, green and resilient recovery from COVID in every community in Scotland. That includes supporting local businesses and creating high quality jobs, making more progress towards our target of 110,000 more affordable homes over the next decade, and delivering a national care service to transform the way care and support is delivered for people who use community health and social care. We will continue to use every power at our disposal to help families in tough times. Of course, this cost of living crisis did not just begin in the last few months. It is the result of catastrophic Westminster policy decisions over many years. From the moment they took power, the Tories have chipped away at living standards and family incomes. A toxic combination of cuts, regressive tax hikes, rising energy bills and the impact of Brexit has left many families hundreds or thousands of pounds worse off. And while the Scottish government will do all it can to help, the fact is that most of the key powers and resources to tackle the emergency still lie with government at Westminster. Tory politicians are so distracted by Partygate, however, that they have failed to bring forward any meaningful package of support to help families with crippling price rises. So at this election, as well as voting for strong local voices, we can choose to send a strong message to the Tory government that much more needs to be done. Next Thursday, people across Scotland will have the opportunity to cast their verdict on the antics of the Prime Minister at the height of lockdown and on its woeful inaction when it comes to tackling the cost of living crisis. The Prime Minister has lost the moral right to govern and that matters because his constant distractions are getting in the way of him doing the job of making life better for those he is meant to serve. Time may well be running out for Boris Johnson, but the problems of Westminster government are about more than just one politician. The Westminster system is broken. It is mired in scandal and sleaze, and those in the UK government are showing contempt for Parliament, democracy and the country. In these serious times, people, families and communities across Scotland need and expect serious leadership to steer Scotland through the cost of living crisis and onto a better future. There is a clear choice facing the people of Scotland on May 5. It is SNP action and leadership or Tory inaction, self-interest, complacency and sleaze. We can all use our voices to demand that this deeply out of touch Tory government at Westminster takes real action now on the cost of living crisis. This election is Scotland's opportunity to demand real support for families and communities here in Glasgow and right across the country, says Nicola Sturgeon.
0: And that was this week's Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.